Aloha, folks. You are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 89. This episode is sponsored by Tandawai Rum. Since 1854, Tandawai Distillers has been producing quality rum from the Philippines. The indisputable history of their Philippine rum is the foundation of which the Tandawai legacy continues today. Tandawai Asian Rum is made with premium varieties of heirloom sugarcane grown in the Visayas region of the tropical island of the Philippines. It is the same Southeast Asian vintage canes that has been cultivated for centuries in the tropical maritime climate and rich Philippine soil, which makes Tandawai Asian Rum distinctly Filipino. Tandawai Rum also has lots of history in the tropical exotic cocktail era when it first began with Don the Beachcomber and his Filipino barman in the 1930s. There's evidence that these legendary bartenders created some of the first tropical cocktail recipes using Tandawai Rum. For more information, go to TandawaiUSA.com or stop by Tandawai USA's Facebook page. So a couple weeks ago, Jeff Beach Bumberry came down to the Tiki Tea for a book signing for his recently released reissue of Sippin' Safari. Jeff was once a regular at the Tiki Tea back when he was living in LA, and so it was great getting to chat with him and Tiki Tea owner Mike Buen Sr. about the good old days and what's happened since then with Jeff's journey from becoming a cocktail recipe sleuth to growing into a world-renowned author, mixologist, and owner of one of the planet's premier cocktail bars. As always, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. And if you did, hit that subscribe button. The podcast is free, and subscribing makes it easier for you to follow our adventures. Shares on your social media pages are always appreciated. And if you'd like to help support the show, go to DesertOasisRoom.com and click on the donate button. Every donation, no matter the size, helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. Okay, without further ado, here's Jeff Beach Bumberry and Mike Buen Sr. coming to you live from the Sip and Safari 10-year anniversary book signing at the Tiki Tea. One, two, three. As Mike will tell you, the phone ring is quite loud. <laughs> I know. <laughs> could... I, I heard it earlier. So. Yeah, you heard you heard it when we were in uh, probably in Wilshire area. You're right. <laughs> thank you guys for joining the show. Well, thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Welcome back to the Tiki Tea, Jeff. Uh, too long away. Happy to be back. <laughs> How does it feel to be home? Like victory. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny is that, that there's always that statement when you walk in the door here, welcome home. And it really is a home away from home for all of us regulars. And, and like Jeff was here every week when he was living in L.A. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I'm, I'm sure being back is like uh, it's either a deja vu or it's a homecoming or it's... It's all that stuff. It's all that stuff, right? I have so many questions to ask you guys. I'm so excited to have you both on the show at the same time. As you know, our listeners know that we've had you on the show each individually in, in your own episodes. But to have you here together, it's kind of neat because now I can actually go back in time and we can talk to you about the days before the bum was the bum. Uh, <laughs> right? So, well, it's a bum with a small B. Yeah. <laughs> Little bum. Yeah. So one of the questions that I had that I, I, I don't know why I've never asked you this before, Jeff, which 
I'm sure a lot of people want to know was, do you remember the first time you walked into Tiki Tea? Oh, yeah. You do? Can I you do. tell us about that? Yep. Um, I was still in college. It was um, 1980. I, I was, no, 79. It's 1979. Um, it was not long after I turned 21 and could legally drink. And um, you did it right. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of the first places I went, just strictly by accident. I didn't know about it, but um, the girl I was seeing at the time, Kathy Seip, uh, we were at UCLA together. Um, she lived around here, so she was interested in it. And we, we went in, and I had my first raisin steak uh, at the age of 21 in uh, 1979. Now, did you come in here as somebody that just wanted a tropical drink, or were you already interested in the tiki? I was, and oh, I, and, she, okay. and Kathy knew that, and I, that's why she took me here. Because um, uh, ever since I was about you know, six years old, I've, I've been taken to uh, Polynesian themed restaurants, like out in the San Fernando Valley um, and uh, elsewhere. Right. But um, you know, always as a little kid, never been able to drink in one uh, up until that point. So <laughs> somewhere along the line, she found out that I, I like that stuff. We must have been talking, or I mentioned it in passing. And, uh, and she took me here, and it was just like, all right, where's this been all my life? Right. <laughs> you know? What was your first impression when you walked in? What's the first thing that hit you? Um, the size of it, the, the, um, the intimacy of it, and the low light. We came at night, and um, it just seemed like a really cool hang. And you could smoke back then, so you walk into... Um, a smoke-filled, right. dark little tiki bar, and it, it felt like something out of a 1950s noir movie or something like that. You know, it was just really instantly cool vibe. Instantly fell in love with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have a um, an impression on Ray? Um, Ray, I mean, I was just another punter. You know, I was like yeah. one of a bunch of. I mean, most of the kids my, uh, my age or Kathy's age who were coming here were from USC. I mean, this was like sort of like a short hop for them. Yeah, and I was yeah. UCLA, so we had gone quite a distance to, to get here. Uh, and um, so Ray, I, Ray didn't notice me. I was I was just one more Ray's mistake to him, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's everybody's drinking that drink. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I'm curious because, you know, now we appreciate Ray for who he was, right? He's this wise, sage, veteran bartender. But back then, and you said it was like 1979, he was just another guy slinging drinks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But by, um, but by 1984, 85, LA Times ran a piece about him. Santa Monica Evening Outlet was starting to run pieces about the tea and about Ray okay. in particular. Right. And um, I collected all that stuff because I, you know, I was interested in this stuff as you are. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and he started to, in my mind, get this mythic status before I ever said one word to him. You know, I think the only words I may have said to him over the years were, "Could I have a Navy grog?" Um, you know, or how much is that, you know, and there, there were a few times when I, when I got more curious about the drinks, when it was a little less crowded, when he'd be in here, I mean, Ray would work that station and Mike would be over there. Yeah. You're right. And uh, I'd be sitting here, uh, and, uh, I'd ask Ray, you know, I'd had a particularly good drink. I don't remember what it might've been, whether a mistake or a Navy grog or, um, uh, skull and bones or what have you. And. Uh, I'd say, what's in this drink, Ray? Uh, well, I didn't say Ray. I mean, uh, sir, because yeah, I yeah. was not a first name basis with yeah, him. Yeah, excuse me, sir, excuse sir. me, sir. What was what's sir. in this? And he, and he, yeah, and this is when I found out that these were not. This wasn't public knowledge. And he's like, rum and fruit juice. Right, right. 
Uh, uh, that's what my dad always said. Yeah. Hey, what's in this? Pro rum and fruit juice. I stole that line because <laughs> people when ask they ask me what's in some of the drinks that I make at home. Yeah. I say the same thing. Rum, rum and, and fruit, fruit juice. juice. Yeah. But yeah. do you say it like Ray? You go, rum and fruit juice. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I don't remember so my impression of Ray is I hear two different things. I hear that he was this gentle guy, and then I also heard that he was a little cantankerous. I wouldn't say well, from my point of view, I would not say cantankerous. I would say he was a professional at the top of his game and he couldn't be bothered by imbeciles you know and, okay. and because people would you know because people would say hey this you know can so that I have could a- be translated as cantankerous for somebody that doesn't know yeah maybe. but no it's it's a matter of you know that comes in and orders a beer yeah that does that disrespects the place you know yeah. it's like comes in and says I want a lava flow or, or this is too sweet or I don't like this you don't say that to like um, you know uh uh, Jacques Pepin when you order a, a, a dish at his restaurants and you don't say that to Ray Boone when you order a zombie at his <laughs> bar, right, you know? Right, right, right. So, uh, but yeah. I, I don't remember, I, I was, he wasn't intimidating, he was always friendly, he was always smiling, you know, okay, he, yeah. I don't, I don't, I could not ever say that he was ever cantankerous. He got a little irritated with me and Sven and rightly so when we would come in and we just start bugging him with questions about stuff, you know, he's like, um, <laughs> oh yeah, we're going to get to that because I, I'm curious about all of that. Um, but I, I, I want to still revisit that first time that you were here. Do you remember your first drink? I had a raisin steak. It was because, raisin because steak. we we got in here. The bar was packed as it usually is, um, and it was like standing room only. And we we managed to get that table over there in the corner. Okay, um, well, you guys locked out. Yeah, we it's really the best locked table out. right there in the Absolutely, corner. Absolutely, it was yeah. like the date table, you know. And um, <laughs> and we didn't know what to order because we you get the menu and there's like you know 70, 80 drinks on. And you go, what the hell? And yeah, um, and somebody said. Get, they saw us looking at the menu. Get a raisin steak. So he said, "We got two raisin steaks, and that was it. That was the beginning." You see on the menu too. There was no descriptions. Just no the names. None whatsoever. <laughs> and, uh, and well, and there still is. I mean, right. just, yeah, the, just names. the names. Yeah. People yeah. ask me. I mean, you look at the menu. It is a little intimidating if you don't know what you're looking for. So they ask me, oh, "Can you help me pick out a drink?" You know, and um, I think it's kind of part nice. of the fun. You know, that's, it's like that's what's the, nice because you, get, you meet people because they they say, "Well, I, I don't know what, what's the name of this this drink. There's a name, but what's what is it? What's in it?" That, right away, you got you have a conversation yeah. going. Yeah. You know, you're meeting somebody; they're meeting you, and they're recommending things to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, back then, I know that I had spoken with Augie about some of what it was like back in uh, maybe fast forward now into the later 80s early 90s and I know that at that time it wasn't as busy as it is today he was telling me stories about that there would be maybe a half a dozen guys here at the bar all regulars and they would basically say hey Ray have you tried this have you tried that what if you put this and that together I wonder what his thoughts were about that like you know, sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, buddy, don't tell me how to do my job. Yeah. And other times it's like, what the hell? You know, there's nobody else in here. Well, you know, that's, I remember that's how we used to, on uh, Mondays, we'd close the place. Actually, that was the day we were closed and we'd uh, clean the place. And then after we had it all set up, we'd get some ice and then uh, we'd start experimenting and making new drinks. And, uh, you know, my dad... You pull out the, the booze and the mixes and everything. And the one thing when you experiment with a drink, you have to write down what you're doing. Because, you know, you put lime juice in a drink and then you put some passion fruit or whatever. Then you put some rum and then you taste it and go, oh, yeah, it's good. Write it down. And then you add something else to it and go, oh, that's good too. Then you add maybe something else and you go, nah, that's not too good. Yeah. And you got to exclude that. But 
down the line, when you come up with something really good, you know, you go, great. But if you don't write it down, you go, wow, what did I put in this thing? Right. You got to write it down. Yeah. I'll I'll second that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I know what you're saying. Um, what, What I'm curious about, too, is when Jeff first started coming in here and asking about recipes, right? Especially if you didn't know that all this stuff was secret at first, that must have... I don't know if it angered Ray or if it left some kind of a negative impression. No, no, not at all. Because, you know, he, he, he let me know right away. Like, all he had to say was Roman fruit juice twice. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then after I, that was before I met Sven. And then after I met Sven and we started reading all about the, old, the original 1934 zombie and we were really curious what was in it, uh, the only other time we ever bugged him with a question, because we we're, were just being respectful, because we wanted to come in have a drink and not not piss anybody off because we really liked it. Here, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so the only other time we asked him something was when we were really, really curious about the original zombie because every zombie we'd ever had anywhere in town or anywhere else had always been bad. And it was the most famous drink in its day. So we were trying to figure out it must have been good at one time. Yeah. And of course, the zombie here is good. But we were wondering, we said, Ray, is this is this the original 1934 zombie? And he said, no, it's not. Oh and, really? And oh, I said, that, oh well, that's what, interesting. To know. What's missing? And he goes, well, and he was trying to throw us off. Yeah. And he said, well, there's no mint. Yeah. And I and I said, well, we'll go get we'll go some mint. We'll go to Ralph's and get some mint. And we'll be right back. He goes, no, 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 no. There's, there's other stuff too. <laughs> so by this time, and you were already doing like their research on the recipes and stuff. I mean, how much of that? was influenced also by the recipes or the drinks here at TQT? Well, a lot because um, I would find old vintage Don the Beachcomber menus from like the 1940s and 50s and I'd look at the drink names and I'd go to the TQT and look at the menu and lo and behold, it'd be like a lot of the same drinks. So I would try the drink and then I thought that might give me some idea of what the original Beachcomber drink was. But what I didn't know until I actually interviewed Ray and interviewed Mike much later, um, was that those drinks, had ch- he, he'd changed those drinks over time. Like he had, he'd had yeah, decades yeah. to play around with them and make them his own. Um, and, um, you know, there's, they're, they're entirely booing drinks. They're not these right. drinks out right. after a certain point. Right. One of the things that I tell people, because it's funny that you say that, you know, if you, if you come in here and you have a scorpion, it tastes like a scorpion, but it also tastes like a tiki tea drink. Like every cocktail in this bar has a fingerprint. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say it, it's a Buin drink, that completely makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah. There's definitely a, um, a through line to almost everything on the menu. The density, the, um, the ratio to sweet and sour, the froth, the way, it, the way they're blended. Uh, all that stuff is very consistent from drink to drink, and it's, it's a style. It's the Buin style, you know, that he developed over like you know, how many years? Well, we're trying to, trying to keep the flagship going. How we, much has it changed from the beginning, Mike? I mean, as far as the cocktails, has it always been pretty consistent all the way through, or have you had to adapt? Well, pretty much the same. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's gotten busier, and you know, uh, you can't, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of you know places make their in-house, uh, you know flavorings and right, all that stuff right. well we can't do that because the, the amount of volume we go through is just like impossible you know but other places they make some really good drinks but that's very very time consuming to put all that stuff together you know so we just can't do it the, the volume that we i mean this is it's a small place and the people that come in and 
you know, they want to drink and usually people want to have, you know, they're either going to a show or a concert, movies or whatever. They come in and have a couple drinks or when the Dodgers are playing, you know, they want to come in before the game or after the game especially. And if they win, they want to party out even more. You know, and uh, you know, you just got to pump them out. Yeah, you have to strike a balance between doing the craft cocktail thing and getting a customer a drink on time. Right. right? You, don't, you don't want them waiting so long. Well, yeah. Well, but you know, they have to realize these kind of drinks do take time to make. You know, they're not just like a regular cocktail, or you know, you get a beer or something like right away. Big deal. You can make a beer, you know, or a, you know, a rum and coke or something, but Tropical drinks take time because there's a lot of ingredients that go into them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have to realize that, hey, you got to wait a little while before we can get these things. Yeah. So when you started writing the Grog Log, well, let me ask you first, what was the catalyst for you to do that? Well, I would been, um, just as like all my other tiki nerd friends were collecting we were collecting old tiki restaurant matchbooks and menus and tiki's and mugs and aloha shirts and all everything you'd find in thrift stores i was also collecting recipes like i would be looking up old recipe books in the library or trying to find old things in this and swap me sometimes a menu would have a recipe on it and um and i, was, I just collected them and i just was really in, interested in the drinks and all that started because places that were serving the drinks were starting to go out of business. Like there was the uh, Bamboo Terrace in Burbank, I think it was. Um, and then there was uh, Kowloon on Pico and um, uh, Juan Q also on Pico, I think. And um, you know, the, all these places made good drinks, but they're going out of business. And Tiki Tea and Trader Ricks were the only two that were left standing by the 90s. So I figured, well, if I want to keep drinking these drinks, I might have to learn how to make them myself. And yeah. that's what kind of caused me to start collecting recipes along with all the other ephemera. You didn't have any intent of where you are today. I mean, oh, hell was, no. Yeah, no, it I was just about, no, you this just was, wanted to save them for yourself. This was a hobby. This was strictly a hobby. I mean, I was strictly an amateur. I had no intention of writing a book or opening a bar yeah, or any yeah. of that stuff. All I wanted to do was be able to drink these drinks, you know, yeah, if I couldn't yeah. go to a bar and drink them. So um, by that time, I'd met Otto von Stroheim and another tiki geek who lived in Venice, and he was a surfer. And he had a lot of surfer friends, and they would do these backyard luau's at his house, the house he was renting. And since I was into drinks, I was the drink guy, and I'd make like a big bowl of punch, some big blue punch or something, right. you know. <laughs> and uh, and people would come up to me and they'd say, "Hey, this is all right. What's the recipe?" And uh, instead of saying rum and fruit juice, right. um, I you know I would I would tell them, um, you know, freely give it away. But uh, but after a while, I thought, oh, well, let me just like, to so many people were asking that I, I just went to Kinko's and I took all those recipes I had and I yeah. typed them out and I put them in a little Xerox yeah. booklet that Otto helped me do. Like he helped me put it together and, and all that and went and stapled it and folded it. And the next time Otto had a party, I would just give it out. You know, oh, you like these things here? This is what I know, you know? And that's awesome. And yeah, one of them found its way up to um, comic book publisher in San Jose, Slave Labor Graphics. Turned out the guy who ran that liked Tiki and he said, hey, you want to put together a little real booklet that we could sell? And I said, all right. And I, I, I was totally passive about it. It wasn't yeah, anything yeah. I went out and tried to pitch. Yeah. Um, and uh, he put it together and the only place you could buy it were comic book stores because he didn't have any, he'd never done any books. He didn't have a book distribution um, 
set up. He just you could go in, into comic books and get them, which is why I still sometimes comic book geeks, geeks come up to me and, and they say, "Hey, I, I found your book and I, I got into tiki drinks going to the comic book store." So I got to scour oh, comic wow. book stores now to look for this old book. So you know when you were do, going through that whole process, did Ray become more receptive to helping you out when he saw what you were doing? I never. I was too um, shy and I was too respectful to ask for a recipe because I knew they didn't give them out. Oh, I knew, sure, you know, yeah. I knew, I knew yeah. it was going to be wrong for you. And I, I, I didn't, I never, when he was alive, I never said, um, Mr. Boone, I'm doing this recipe book, would you be willing to contribute a recipe? It was only Mike, years later, I think by the, um, the, the second book, in Toxico, we put the um, Puka Punch in because you gave punch, me that recipe. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, uh, but because by that time the grog log had come out and probably on form and I could show it to the guys and and, mm -hmm. um, and Ray had passed on by then but Mike looked at it and said well I'll tell you what we'll give you here's some here's some recipes from my dad's book that we don't serve anymore so, so it's no harm no foul I mean since we since we don't serve these it doesn't matter that you publish okay you know, and that's that's what the Poop punch but was. even still how do you think Ray would have felt about that Mike I I don't think he would be uh, you know offended or anything. <laughs> No, not really. I mean, even I mean, if it was not being served anymore, I mean, is it considered yeah. a still like a family secret, you know? Well, yeah, yes and no, because, you know, a lot of those drinks came way back from the, uh, you know, the 30s and 40s and everything. The, uh, the object is right now, thanks to Jeff here, Beach Bumberry Jeff, <laughs> uh, and Martin Kate, and Sven, and, you know, you guys are revising this thing now. And that's why this craze is going on with the, you know, all these tiki bars opening up, and people going in and making their their own bars and stuff. You know, prior to that, there there weren't people who were into this stuff. You know, now it's coming alive, and it's, and it's like like wildfire. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I just it's all over the world. You know, people yeah. are doing this now. I would say that the grog log. I think it's single-handedly changed the way that people look at cocktails and order drinks at bars. Now, I think it was extremely influential. Wow. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm sure nobody else would argue with me. Well, maybe some people would. But, you know, when you look at it that way, right, would you say that and just erase all being humble and all that, just be honest with your perspective, do you think that the grog log influenced the craft cocktail movement today? Um, no, the craft cocktail movement was going on. Um, so would you say that the grog log was influenced by the craft cocktail movement then? No, because I didn't. Well, it's funny you should say that because it's um, got to untangle the history here. In the late 90s, when the grog log came out, there was a craft cocktail movement going on, but not in L.A. OK, um, it was strictly London and New York, and I didn't know about it. You know, I had no idea. So the craft cocktail movement didn't influence you to write the grog log? Not at all, because okay. I had no idea that it even existed until okay. um, Kevin Kidney and, and Jody Daly, the two other TV friends of ours, um, came back from New York and they started talking about this place called the Pegu Club where they, they had this Earl Grey martini. It was like they made this Earl Grey tea syrup and it was in a martini. It was really good. And, I was, and they had this tantric sidecar with five degrees. And it, that was like science fiction to me. Like It's like they had gone to Mars and had drinks yeah. there or something, yeah. you know, because L.A. was still in the dark ages of the cocktail. The only good drinks you could get in L.A. were tiki drinks because they were the only ones using fresh citrus and, 
and, uh, and, and intricate recipes like this. So I would say that, uh, short answer, no, the craft cocktail movement did not influence the grog log. And, it w and the craft cocktail influence movement was not influenced by the grog log okay. because the early 21st century craft cocktail movement, they didn't want to touch tiki with a 10-foot swizzle stick. They didn't yeah, want anything yeah. to do with tiki. Yeah. To them, tiki was part of the problem because like all these young bartenders who were in their 20s and were forging the craft cocktail movement in Chicago, New York, London, um, they were born in the dark ages. I mean, they, they had never had a real you know, a culinary craft cocktail tiki drink, which is what these drinks were 70 years before that term existed. You know, these were craft cocktails and right after Prohibition. But they didn't know that. They, all they knew is what they were, there's like blue or red, um, slushy, syrupy cruise ship drinks. So they didn't want anything to do with it. And nobody had a blender in their bar. That was considered like totally verboten. Taboo, yeah. 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 Um, so, so the tiki pop culture revival, which you, we were all part of, and the craft cocktail revival were running on parallel tracks, and it was like they were n right. not meeting at all. Okay, all right. But where it finally started to change, if I had anything to do with it, was it, uh, okay, no humbleness, I'll get rid of that. Where it finally started to change was Sip and Safari when that came out in 2007. Sip book, and Safari was pivotal. Yeah. Yeah. I think more than the grog, the grog log didn't really change anybody's minds in the craft cocktail community. Sip and Safari did. Because that was a, a like the first real book with real text and and it had the beachcomber recipes in it. The first time I was I cracked the actual beachcomber recipes and craft cocktail bartenders, guys like Brian Miller in New York and um, Alex Mazuris in London, they got a hold of the book and it's like, oh wow, you know, this is like, this is what we're into. This is yeah. this is the same thing. The history written in that book is really great. Thank so you. So it's awesome that you're re releasing that or reissuing that book. Yeah. Because. You know, there has been this growth since the first time it was released, and it was off people's radar because it was released before that growth. Right. And so now that this growth is, you know, really taken shape, yeah, it's great to put that back in front of people and have them read that history again. That was the idea because when when it came out in 07, the, the tiki revival had the tiki drink revival had not taken off the way it did like shortly after that book. Um, in the 10 years since that book, we've had what you're talking about, that global explosion of tiki bars everywhere. And it was it was good to have an opportunity to look back at that book and, and add to it and, and put it in context of the last 10 years and all that. So. Now, Mike, would you say that since the release of these books that you've seen a change in the clientele that comes into the bar? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, because a lot of people, you know, they're, they're getting into this uh, tropical stuff, you know, and... They go, yeah, a lot of and younger people, This is what too. I'm saying. This is why I yeah. believe that it was pivotal, pivotal in changing the way that people look at and order tropical cocktails. Because 20 years ago, people were still ordering strawberry daiquiris yeah. and thinking that that was a tropical cocktail, right? Yeah. And nowadays, nobody orders a strawberry daiquiri, at least none of the bars that I go to. you know. And if you did, you'd, you'd kind of be looked down upon. Well, but I still go to a Mexican restaurant and I get a, a strawberry margarita. Sure. Yes, because they, they make them usually, the place we go, we go to, they make them really good. So yeah, yeah. That's, I always like to have a strawberry I have, margarita. I have, I have no judgment about ordering what you like. Yeah. I mean, if you like it, you like it. But uh, I just think that with the rise of the craft tropical drink, it has changed the way that people look at ordering a tropical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. it's it's really weird to go into um, a tiki bar 
um, and and be sitting there, and the the person next to you will say to the bartender, "Can you do you do a three dots and a dash?" And it's like, right. it's like what the? you know, because in two thousand seven, nobody knew nobody what that knew what that was. was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, we have people come in and they go, "Hey, can you do make that uh, three dots and a dash?" And they go, "Yeah, sure, okay." Yeah. You know, they you know they, obviously they've had it you know before, or they just want to try it. Yeah, they heard about it. If you have a product, service, or event that you'd like to bring attention to, we can help. Imagine hearing your ad in this spot, just like you're hearing this one right now. Sponsor an episode and get the exposure you deserve. For more information, go to DesertOasisRoom.com and click on Services. So, you know, when I was coming here in the early 2000s and Jeff was just another L.A. regular at this bar... He would sit on one end, I'd sit on the other end, or, you know, we were just all in the same room. We weren't really, like, chummies, but we were we were all still TKT regulars, as, you know, the TKT regulars has its own little groups within it yeah. as well, right? What did you think about that, uh, Mike, that this growth that Jeff has gone through now, he's got his own bar. Did you ever see that happening? No, well, that, Isn't that cool? No, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Oh, you were telling me that you were trying to, you know, open up a place in New Orleans there and you were having a rough time yeah. with the city and just trying to get in the nucleus of the place and, yeah. you know, and then it's great where you found that place, you know, that the, the, the people that were there were leaving and, and it opened up and then yeah. you got, got in there. It was great. One of the uh, one of the proudest moments in my life was when uh, Mike Boone walked into Latitude 29 yeah. and it's just like uh, the guy who inspired that right? you know it's just like uh, there he Come is on, no. there he is ordering a drink and I was like uh, no. I was there a few months ago you remember that and, yeah. I, and I walk in I'm like wow check this place out man Jeff is moving yeah. that's great hey Full hey, circle. Pretty cool, <laughs> right? Full circle. Man. I mean, if I still lived here, I'd just be coming here. There'd be no need for me to open a bar, you know? <laughs> well, for our listeners that don't know, so we're recording this before your book signing. Yeah. We're here for the Sip and Safari 10th anniversary book signing and release and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, what is different about this issue than the previous, the, the first release? Well, it's all about um, what's happened in the 10 years since. Like, um, there are 14 new old recipes, like previously unpublished vintage recipes that in 2007 I didn't know how to decode. I couldn't figure out how to read the bartender's shorthand. Um, or they were cut for space. Or I found them after the book came out. So every good, every good recipe i found since then um, and um, every recipe that I was able to figure out how to make and all that, all those new vintage recipes are in the book. Um, the other part is this 40-page afterward, which talks about what happened uh, the year in the 10 years after the book came out, like this whole Tiki revival. And I and I asked um, some of the leading lights, you know, people like Paul McGee and um, and Martin Cade and all these people, did the book inf- if the book influenced you, how did it influence you, and could you give me a recipe? And uh, so the, the afterward is all about like how everybody took that and ran yeah. with it. And um, then there's an uh, my favorite part of the book, though, is the foreword, the new foreword. It's about almost 30, 40 pages, and it's about what led up to the writing of Sip and Safari, and it tells a lot of the stories that we just discussed today about how I got into all this nonsense and, and what led to the writing of the book and and um, and all that. And then, of course, there's all kinds of new eye candy, like all kinds of new um, 
old vintage photographs and, and stuff it, like it that. It feels like such a different book. It's an entirely different book. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, when I first got it, I was, I was reading it every night before bed, and it felt like a completely different book. I had to go out and get my original copy of Sip and Safari because I, I wanted to compare. I thought, this can't be the same book, you know, and it's it has a different look and feel. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because that was the that was the idea. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Were you going to say no, something? No, no. I mean that's great. You know, it's like yeah. I'm glad you, you you put out another one. You know, and you added on to this the original one. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, it's good to see uh, good to see chapter one about the Tiki Tea about Ray and Mike in oh. in hardcover with like a lot of new graphics. So. Yeah. Wow. So, what is the future of your brand, Jeff? And also, I want to ask the same thing for Mike because. I mean, you're what six books in now? Seven. Seven. If you, if you count sipping two. Yeah. Okay, seven. And so, where do you go from there? I'm kind of written out, man. I got nothing else to say, you know. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm going to be a saloon keeper for as long as that, uh, as long as that, as long as that works. And, and what and what I'm pushing towards, and I'm alluding to Mike, right? The future of of the Tiki T is like. Now, let me start by saying this. So, the whole generational thing of you know owning a business and passing it down to the next generation then to the next generation you don't really see that anymore yeah but you have that here in the tiki tea and what i don't think mike realizes is of the last legendary bartenders you know that existed he's like the last guy and he's still bartending right so he's a living legend i don't think he'd see 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 his <laughs> no, reaction come on come on <laughs> well every legend I don't think you realize stretching that. it. Come on. I, I, I know it's radio, so for the benefit of our listeners, Mike is a shade of red I've never seen before right, right, right now. Right? So, ah, man, come on. He's as red as grenadine right now. Legend. He really is. I mean, like, so this was a guy that was mixing in the heyday, that was mixing with Ray, right? Where well, when all these recipes were gone, he was making them, right? So, yeah, And well, he's still mi mixing today. Actually, when, when, when the tiki opened up in 61, everything in here, my dad did it. I mean, cut the bamboo, put down the, the two by fours, two by eights, put the tap of cloth on, the bamboo, the cork, the waterfall. My dad did it all. I helped him and a couple other guys, but he did basically it all, you know, and I was just there helping him, you know, cutting something and, you know, screwdriver and stuff in and nailing things in, but he did it all. Actually, my dad, if he wasn't going to be a bartender, he could have been a contractor because if you mm. gave him nail screwdriver uh two by four two by eight he went to town he loved to build things you guys built the house behind the bar yeah he did that too yeah yeah, yeah. I and mean, he was a lot of people amazing. don't know that yeah yeah i gotta tell you another story that my dad i don't know how he did this but when he was bartending he went to hollywood high school and he took a course in upholstery and this was at nighttime during or pardon me during the day at night he bartended and after he got uh, the degree, he got a job working at Angela's Furniture Company making upholstery uh, down there. And it was like, oh, it's amazing, you know, and that was a full-blown, uh, you know, company making all kinds of furniture. And he was, you know, doing that. He, he had two jobs during the day. He worked there at night. He bartend, you know, and, and uh, he would come in here like we had our old stools and, and uh, thing. And he, rather than send them out, he'd go, hell, I'll just, I'll, I'll get the Naugahyde and all. And he did that. He repaired them and, re and reupholstered everything. And he made a lot of other stuff. I wish we had, my son Mike has a futon 
in his garage that the only thing that we saved that my dad made is he made a lot of things but through the years things got messed up and you know we didn't Wear take care of it yeah throwing it away yeah. but i mean he just amazed me like he went and became a, an upholster he's like that was a lot of work yeah you know to go to school and learn that and and then he could he was a full-bledged upholster. Yeah, yeah. He's like, wow, this guy was, his worth ethic was just like amazing. Yeah. You know, just, and like I said, he built everything in here. Like, geez, right, that's, yeah. that's a lot of work. But he loved to do things. So when I brought up future of Tiki T, I want to put this seed in your head. So, you know, what I think is really great about what Jeff did is a lot of these recipes would have died with these bartenders if he didn't document them. And I always wonder about that, right? Like my grandma makes this great dish and when she dies, unless I document it, it goes away forever and no one ever gets to enjoy that dish again. What about the cocktails here? There's so many that are unique to this bar. Have you ever thought, and I'm sure it is documented, right? I saw that, I mean, I even got to hold Ray's little black book. <laughs> I mean, what an honor! Right? Yeah, I yeah. even got to take a picture with it, right, yeah. with a page open, you know. <laughs> and then Mike was thumbing through it, going, "Yeah, see, see, see." And I'm like in my head, going, <laughs> trying to take pictures of each of those recipes. Yeah, that, that but was, I mean, uh, like, have you ever thought about? I mean, like Trader Vic's, they he documented a lot of his recipes in his books. Have you ever thought about doing that in the future? Yeah, you know, I'm. Actually, my son and his wife—they're—they're they're thinking about maybe putting together some kind of documentation and uh, maybe even a book. I don't know. They—they—they they, they want to do something. So I go great. You know. Yeah. I don't know. That'd be neat. We just clicked over 57 years here, and one day at a time. Hopefully, we're going to make it to our 60th. Uh, by that time, I probably will say uh, I might want to just take it a little bit easier because I just. In June first, I I hit my seventy-two. Year. Yeah. So, you know, most people are already retired by now, but I'm not. You know, yeah. just keep on plugging. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for your time, sitting down with the show again. All right. Well, hey, old veterans of the well, podcast, uh, thank Adrian, you so much. Well, I appreciate you. it. Yeah, I, I really do. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. No, it's an honor too because. The man, the legend <laughs> right. is here, man. Jeff Beach Bumberry. Oh, please, uh, please. Now, now I'm red. No, now right. I'm red. <laughs> and I'm excited for Jeff. No, we, we, was, we got a big day in front of us. If it wasn't for this man and uh, Sven and yeah. Martin K, yeah. uh, actually the three guys, you guys have actually spearheaded all this stuff that's coming around now. You know, and it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, keep I'm it going. I'm okay. excited for all Jeff, right. and I'm excited for me because I have, I think, all seven books and a double of the Grog Log. And I can't believe I never had them signed before. You know, and so they're sitting on a table here, well, so I'm going to have Jeff sign them for me. And so You're going to have writer's cramp tonight. I've got to warn you, Adrian, as soon as I sign them, they're going to decrease in value. By oh, and I, I, I highly doubt that. The resale I mean, goes what down. What you should do is get a rubber stamp made of your signature, like what they do at the bank when they yep. stamp <laughs> the checks, right? Reject it. make things easier, yeah. right? <laughs> but thanks again, you guys. Before we wrap up, uh, I want to give a plug to both of your businesses. Why don't we start with Jeff? Why don't we tell people how they can get a hold of, uh, where they can find your barn, where they can find your social media? Yeah, it's called uh, Beach Bum Berries Latitude 29. Um, it's uh, 
I think the Instagram is latitude29nola.com and uh, there's a website for the restaurant and Facebook page and all that. So yeah, just Google Latitude, Beast Pump Berries Latitude 29, you'll find all the all the info. And we're in the French Quarter of New Orleans. So if you're ever in town for any festival of any kind or just to get hammered, um, <laughs> consider us. <laughs> and it doesn't take much to get hammered yeah, in that bar. Right. We, we make short work of you. <laughs> And Mike, Tiki T? Tiki T is uh, 4427 Sunset Boulevard, uh, 927. We're on just uh, this side of, uh, actually, Hollywood Boulevard starts in the next block, but we're still on Sunset. And uh, that's it, you know? Yeah. At, well, actually, our website is uh, Tiki T, T I K I T I. Tiki Dash T. Tiki Dash T. Dash T. 1961 at gmail.com. Okay, yeah. gotcha. All right. Sure. Well, let's do a last cheers, you guys. I'm going to okay. grab mine out. And we're, right. we're doing a cheers with cheers. beer bottles. Yeah, hey, hey. So, <laughs> all right. For the people that uh, want to know what we're actually drinking. We're drinking beer. Right. Right? right? This is a privilege <laughs> in the Tiki Tea. So, <laughs> no so, beer here. No beer here. So don't come in and ask for a beer. Yeah. We ain't giving you one. You get one. a beer anywhere. You don't get right. tropical <laughs> drinks everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. But we're drinking beer because we can. That's, so, what, that's right. We can. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Cheers and aloha. And if you guys have any questions, comments, or uh, just want to leave a shout-out, check us out on Facebook on our group page, Inside the Desert Oasis Room. You can find us on Instagram at Polynesian Pop. And if you want to listen to previous episodes or try to get on a future episode, come to the website, desertoasisroom.com. Thank you, Mike and Jeff. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Adrian. Cheers. Aloha. Aloha. Aloha.